As many of you know, I grew up in a Christian home. My father was a Southern Baptist pastor, and both he and my mother uh, faithful Christians who, who loved the Lord. And my, my father's passed, but my mom, she's still here with us and still faithful. Uh, about the age of six, I remember telling my dad that, that I wanted to get saved. And so one Sunday morning, we walked down the aisle of the large Southern Baptist church that we were attending, and I went to the pastor, and I told the pastor I wanted to ask Jesus in my heart. And the pastor told me to repeat a prayer after him, and to the best of my knowledge that I could at six years old, I remember, I remember asking the Lord to be the Savior of my life and confessing my sins. And immediately, immediately, I had a feeling that I had entered some type of purpose in my life. I knew that when I gave my life to the Lord that I was committing to something bigger than myself. At six years old, I knew that. And I asked my mom a couple weeks ago if she remembered anything about that time in my life, and she said, oh, yeah. Yeah, I imme- you immediately wanted to go home and hang signs up around the neighborhood that said, come to my house and I'll tell you about Jesus. She remembers me wanting to have Bible studies with, uh, with my neighbor friends and try to teach them about, about God. See, at six years old, I had a desire to seek and to save the lost. Because even at that age, I realized right away that being part of God's church meant you were part of God's mission. Fast forward eight years, and I remember one day sitting there at church, looking around, now at a small Southern Baptist church where my dad was a pastor, and asking myself why I was here. Why did my parents feel a need to drag me into this old building every Sunday morning, make me sit on these hard pews, sing these old songs, listen to my dad talk? I had to listen to my dad talk every day, but for some reason they felt like it was important that I heard him talk behind a pulpit. And then on Wednesday, Wednesday night, I got dragged back into church and had to listen to some 30-year-old who dressed like he was 16 try to tell me why I needed to remain pure and pray more. And I remember thinking, why am I forced to go to church? If this is all the Christian life is about, what's the point? See, somewhere between the age of 6 and 15, the the Christian life had dwindled down to what I saw in a building. My understanding of church stopped being outwardly focused and started being inwardly focused. I had misunderstood the church's purpose to come and see instead of go and tell. Simply put, I got off mission. As individuals, we are either walking out God's calling or our life, or we are walking away from God. This is why Paul tells young Timothy in his second letter to keep fanning the flame of his gift. Keep fanning the flame of his gift. Because Paul knew that if Timothy stopped walking out in his gift, his gift of teaching and preaching and evangelism, that young Timothy would give in to this fear that he struggled with. And as individuals, we are either walking out the calling that God has put on our life, or we are walking away from God. There is no in-between. The same goes for the church. If the church is not pursuing the mission of God, the church is walking away from God. When a church takes the mentality to come and see, which is a bunch of individuals acting as spectators to what God is doing, Instead of a church taking the philosophy of go and tell, which is participating in what God is doing, the church is no longer being faithful to its existence. 
And a church that's not pursuing its mission is a church that's dying. And not all dying churches look the same. We could probably go to a number of churches within the Twin Cities and, and find some that are dying with statistics that say six to 10,000 churches are dying every year. That's two to 300 a week. It probably would not take us long to find some that are on their way out. And we all know what a dying church looks like. It lacks attendance. It's preaching without spiritual authority. It's worship without the presence of the Holy Spirit. But not all dying churches look the same. In fact, I would say that some of the biggest, the wealthiest, the healthiest looking churches are spiritually dead. Though these churches are entertaining and enjoyable, their primary purpose has, has become to provide a nice, comfortable place for people to come with a lot of enjoyable things for people to see. But bodies in the seats do not equal lives in the spirit. So no matter if there are 15 people or 1,000, one thing all dying churches have in common, they have gotten off mission. They have taken on the come and see philosophy instead of the go and tell mission that they were designed for. In church, it does not take a big, beautiful building with a charismatic pastor and a professional worship team to take on that come and see mentality. All it takes is for individuals within the church to stop unifying around mission. If you go ahead and and turn in your Bibles with me to John 17, John 17. This is known as the high priestly prayer. This prayer happens at, at the end of the farewell discourse. We should be somewhat familiar with the book of John because we have spent significant time in it over the last year. We did the seven miracles of John, the seven I am's of John. And, and when I spoke in one of the I am statements that happened to fall within the farewell discourse between John 13 and 17, I said that I feel like the Lord was highlighting something for us as a church. He's trying to show us something in the book of John. Remember the farewell discourse is this intimate time with Jesus and his 11 faithful disciples. Jesus is communicating what he feels is the most important for th- thing for them to know before he, before he leaves. And the theme of the farewell discourse is to love each other as I have loved you. He says that in a number of places, John 13, John 15, and then we'll see also in this priestly prayer. But that was the theme of the farewell discourse. And after he communicates what he feels the disciples need to hear from him before he leaves, he immediately goes right into prayer, right into prayer. So 24 hours before dying on the cross, he focuses to God, petitioning for the work of the church that will come after him. Jesus is praying for the mission to be fulfilled in chapter 17. See, Jesus was on mission also. Just as the church is about to be sent on mission, Jesus was about to be sent about to fulfill his mission. God has always been in the business of sending. God sent Jesus. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sent churches. And as a church, we are supposed to continue to be part of planting other churches and multiplying. So if you look with me to John 17, 1 through 4, we're not going to read every verse in John 17, but we're going to look at three different sections of this prayer, starting with verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, 
the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And so we see Jesus thanking God for him accomplishing the mission that he was sent to do. And and what was that mission? We see in verse 2. It's to give eternal life to all whom God had given. Luke 19.10, to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to provide eternal life to all those who would believe. And then I love how here in verse 3, Jesus just goes ahead and he defines eternal life for us if we're wondering what that is. He says, this is the eternal life which I brought. It is that they know you in Jesus Christ whom you sent. Jesus is saying eternal life is to know God in his plan. Professor and theologian Edward Klink, he says about eternal, eternal life that it is a gift of knowledge that not only reveals the person of God, the Father, but also reveals the work of God, the Son, Jesus Christ. See, eternal life is to know the person of God in the work of Jesus. Eternal life is not just a never-ending life, but it is a certain quality of life. It is a life knowing the one true God and his plan of redemption through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The reason that that is important, because it is something that we can have now. It's a life that we can have now. So let me break this down for you guys, because we can't go on to talk about the mission of the church if we don't first understand Jesus' mission. We were born with something wrong with us, with a desire to worship ourselves, to pursue our own interests, to serve something other than the Creator. This is why people find their purpose in money, success, the perfect family. We look for something other than God to be our cornerstone in life. You know what I mean by cornerstone? You know what that is? It's the first stone that is set in the foundation of a building. All stones that come after it will be set in reference to that stone. And so if you've built your life on your job or your success or your athletic ability or your looks or the hope that you get into a certain college or having the perfect family, then whatever else you set on top of that, everything else that you put on top of that will stand or fall based on that shaking. And not only by having the wrong cornerstone do we live an incomplete life, without ever fully realizing our purpose, our mission, but we remain in sin. We remain in judgment for turning away from God. But Jesus came to be our cornerstone. Jesus said, no, I got you. I have a way for you out of sin. I have a way for you out of judgment. For the punishment of turning away from God, I will go to the cross for you. For the punishment of turning away from God, I will sacrifice myself for you. I will carry the weight of your mistake. Just repent and believe in me that I am God and my death was sufficient and I will be your cornerstone. And by having Jesus as our cornerstone, we are built up into knowing the Father God, our creator, the one who we've been separated from, but now through Jesus we can be in relationship with. And I'm not preaching prosperity gospel when I say you can have a certain quality of life. You know me better than that. It does not mean that life gets easier, that pain goes away, that bad things don't happen. But it does mean that now you can view everything that happens in life in light of the age to come. Only knowing the plan of redemption can you experience ministry of peace and comfort of the Holy Spirit. Only knowing the plan of redemption can you find true purpose in life. 
can you find your true mission? The mission of Jesus to seek and to save the lost. That, that is what he came to do, to be everyone's cornerstone in life. To bring salvation to the world. To bring the highest quality of life possible. And so if you jump with me now to John 17, starting in verses 14 through 19. Let's look at another group. Jesus goes from praying that his father be glorified to then praying for another group of people. Let's look at verse 14. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And so Jesus says to his disciples, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because you are not of the world. Jesus goes from praying for himself to praying for his 11 faithful disciples that are standing there listening to his prayer. Interesting that Jesus recognizes that he is about to leave. We'll see him ascend into heaven after his resurrection, and yet he does not take his disciples with him. He chooses to leave them here knowing that the world is against him. Why does he do that? Why does he not take his disciples with him? Because just because Jesus' mission is accomplished does not mean the disciples' mission is. See, Jesus had fulfilled his mission on earth, but now the disciples have to take up the mantle. They are to remain and continue the mission of Jesus, which is to bring salvation to the world. By Jesus leaving the disciples to continue the work, he is multiplying himself. He is leaving little ambassadors, those that represent him, to continue to spread the gospel throughout the world. And so the disciples are given the same mission that Jesus had. They are called to bring salvation to the world, to seek and to save the lost. That's the Great Commission. They heard Jesus tell them this numerous times. Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The disciples were tasked to carry on the mission. But Jesus knows that the mission doesn't stop with them. This is where it gets exciting. And so we see another prayer, another group of people that Jesus prays for. Look at verse 20 with me. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I do not ask for these only, the disciples, but also for those who will believe through their word. You know who Jesus is talking about right here? He is talking about every believer, every church that will come after his disciples. He is talking about us. In the hours before Jesus is going to the cross, he's thinking about us. He is thinking about Bethany Church, and he is praying for us. He is praying that we will be one, that we will be united, but not just one for the sake of unity, but so that the world may believe that Jesus was sent by God. We are united unto something. We gather together so that the mission continues. Remember the theme of the, the farewell discourse, right? John 13, 34 through 35. 
A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Even in the call to continue in love, a love that can only be known and experienced if you first know Jesus, is the mission. By the way that you love each other, they will know that you are mine. Who is they? The world will know that you are mine by the way that you love each other. Again, Edward Klink says, this unity, this oneness that's being talked about in verse 21 is a unity in purpose, it's a unity in love, and it is a unity in action. We are not called to be a community together, but to be a community that is on mission together. We as a church are a product of God's great mission being accomplished. The very existence of the church is a testimony to God's great act of unification, of reconciling the world to himself in Christ. You are here today, church, because of faithful churches that have come before us. You are here because other churches have unified over mission. So let's talk about that for a minute because sometimes I think, it's, I think we forget that, that we are part of something that's been happening for the last 2,000 years, that we're, that we're part of something that's going to continue to happen and won't be done until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God like the waters cover the sea. The Holy Spirit came on the church. If you remember last week, Paul Anderson spoke in John 14. Again, just happened to be in John 14. I think, I think the Lord's saying something to us. If you spend time in the Word, I would encourage you to spend it in John. Maybe he's trying to tell us something here in Bethany Church. And in John 14, Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, These works that I do, you're going to do even greater things. But not on your own. I'm sending you a helper. And so Jesus leaves, and as we know, the Holy Spirit comes on the church. He comes on the church, right? Jesus, Jesus prophesies about this when he says in Acts 1.8, you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes down on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, until the ends of the earth. And again, we're seeing the sending, right? Jesus sending the Holy Spirit. And so let's look at that. Let's look at this history of sending from the Holy Spirit to the church, to churches multiplying. In 33 AD, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles in the upper room. And soon after that, Peter preached over 3,000 Jews who heard the word, believed, and received the Spirit. This is known as the birthday of the church. But as I already point out, it does not stop here. In 39 AD, Peter preaches the word to Cornelius and his family, and the Holy Spirit falls on the first Gentiles, that's anyone who is not Jewish, who are then baptized into the church. In 42 AD, Mark then goes to Egypt. In 49, Paul goes to Turkey. In 51, Paul heads to Greece. Now we're starting to see this multiplication. In 52, the Apostle Thomas heads to India. Fast forward 100 years. In 174, the first Christians are reported in Austria. By 280, there's the first written knowledge of rural churches emerging in northern Italy. By 350, 37, 31.7 million people claim Christ as Lord. In 432, Patrick heads to Ireland. In 596, Gregory the Great sent Augustine and a team of missionaries to what is now England. And within two years, 10,000 people were baptized. In 635, the first Christian missionaries arrive in China. In 740, Irish monks reach Iceland. In 900, missionaries reach Norway. That should stand out to us. 
1517, Martin Luther posts his 95 Theses in Wittenberg, Germany, beginning the Protestant Reformation. And as the Reformation spread, in 1537, King Christian III declared Lutheranism the official religion of Norway. In 1840, Norwegians leave their country and and immigrate into America, flooding the upper Midwest. And it's rumored that in every community they started, the first building they built was a Lutheran church. In 1935, while attending a Lutheran evangelical revival in Minneapolis, T.A. Hegre surrenders his life to Christ. In 1938, T.A. Hegre starts holding Bible studies in his home. In 1943, the Bible study has grown, and the group purchases an old chapel on 7th Street and Nicolette Avenue in South Minneapolis. Bethany Chapel Lutheran held their first service on Palm Sunday, April 25th, 1943. In 1944, a year after that, T.A. Hegre shares his vision to support 100 missionaries from the church, and Bethany unites around the mission to send and to multiply. For the last 75 years, we have been a church about the mission of God. And I'd like to read an excerpt from a letter that I came across by, that T.A. Hegre had wrote. It's titled, The Church, Pastors, and Elders. So I want to read the first paragraph. The purpose of the church is given in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. T.A. says, these are some of the last words of our Lord on earth, which we generally call the Great Commission. In the organization of Bethany Missionary Church, we accepted these words as a mandate. This is the reason for our strong emphasis on missions. But these words of Christ refer not only to missions, get this, but to the general purpose of the church. Church, we have always been driven by the mission to send, to multiply, to seek and to save the lost. This is what we were called to do. This is why we exist. And so let's talk about what multiplication means for us. Let's bring it home. I never want to be part of a church that, that takes on the come and see mentality. I As an individual, I know what that can mean for my faith. At 15, I walked away from the Lord. I didn't come back from 10 years. I shouldn't have come back. Only by God's grace am I here. So as an individual, I need to be on mission. I need to be on mission. Otherwise, my spiritual life will die. The same is true for you as an individual. You need to be on mission. You're walking to God or you're walking away. But just as individuals, we are called to be on mission. As a church, we are called to gather together and unify over mission, to fellowship together, to accomplish the mission together. These last few years, they have been hard. It's been hard to move any organization into a new structure, much less one that just experienced the pain and the brokenness of losing a pastor in the way that we did. And it has taken time to regroup, to build, to build a foundation for the future. And as you, when you try anything for the first time, you have to constantly reevaluate, ask questions, make adjustments. And the oversight team, we have spent significant time praying, thinking, and talking through who we are and what we should be doing. And at the end of the day, church, we recognize that our purpose is to multiply. Our purpose is the mission, 
It's in our DNA. It's the mission that Jesus gave the church. It's to grow. And so if our mission is to multiply, to be a go-and-tell church, then we have to ask ourselves, are we healthy enough to multiply? If we were to make a clone of ourselves and plant that clone in Jordan, Minnesota, or plant that clone and take Goosey Minnesota or take Goosey Honduras, there's not a two Goosey Minnesota, in case you're wondering, or any other place you could think about, would it last? Would it thrive? Would it grow? Is there enough clarity around how our leadership is structured that it could easily be reproduced? Does everyone in our congregation feel connected with each other, feel that they are part of a unified, purpose-driven community? Does Sunday morning drive engagement with the Word and fellowship with the Holy Spirit? And as part of the oversight team, we've talked, we've wrestled, and, and we recognize that there are areas that we need to strengthen in order to grow in our ability to reproduce. And so with the goal to multiply, with the mission to make disciples, train and trust leaders, and plant churches, we want to be very intentional about focusing on certain areas this year. There are three areas that we believe are key for our focus on this year to move us in a direction of multiplication. Most of you got a letter, and in that letter it shared those areas, leadership, community, and Sunday service. And so let's talk about those three for us and what that will mean this year. First of all, leadership. We want to clearly define our leadership structure for you. Dave is going to talk more about this next week in part two of this series. But we believe that the New, the New Testament gives examples of churches being led with a plurality of leadership. We feel that we are entering into a biblical model of church leadership. This is why we do not have a one-man show. Bethany is led by an oversight team which currently is nine individuals that hold the office of overseer or elder, whose primary role is to pastor and to shepherd the church. This means we are responsible for the direction of the church to make sure we are staying on mission. But the oversight team does not do all the work of the church. Instead, we believe in creating platforms for individuals to step out in their gifting and lead so we can utilize ministry teams to help carry the work of equipping the saints We want to make it easy as possible for you to step out in the calling that God has put on your life, to walk out in the mission that he has given you so you do not become lukewarm. And this year, we're going to work really hard, church. We're going to work really hard at making sure you know who does what and where to go for for what specific needs. And also, how to get involved, how to step into the gifting and the calling that God has placed on your life. And I just want to say that, church, we need you to pray for all the leaders in our church, from the ones that, the ones that show up here on Sunday mornings to serve coffee, to the ones leading worship, to the preaching team, to the oversight team, to the women's ministry team, to the prayer team. We all need prayer. I, I for one, every time I'm going to preach, my family gets sick. <laughs> every time. Every time. About a week before, as I'm trying to crunch extra time in my, in my life and prepare a message, my family just is a wreck. Man, I don't think that that's a coincidence, right? Jesus said, Jesus said to the Father, don't take them out of the world. Leave them in. Just keep them from the evil one. Protect them. We in leadership need your, 
need your prayers. We need that protection. The second thing I want to talk to you about is community. We want to grow in community, one that is unified over a mission and a purpose. If we're not careful with this model, it could end up with everyone just doing their own thing. But as we read in John 17, 21, we are called to have a shared unity and purpose and love and in action. And so this year, we're going to work hard on growing on mission together, growing into the body. We're going to do a number of, we're going to do this a number of different ways, but one specifically, we're really going to be pushing for sermon-based small groups this year. We recognize that ministry, accountability, and relationships happen better in small group settings. And we want to make sure that no one is just showing up here on Sunday morning and then isolating themselves the rest of the week. Community needs to take place in everyday life. And we want to create platforms that make it easy for everyone to minister to and be ministered to throughout the week. And then the last area we're going to focus on this year is Sunday service. In fact, can I go ahead and have the worship team come up? First Corinthians tells us that we are individuals of a body, and that body needs all parts functioning together. So Sunday morning is an opportunity for us to engage together, to engage in worship together, to engage in the Word together, to en- and then to engage with the Holy Spirit together. We want to create a service that provokes engagement and stresses the importance of the whole body being unified in worshiping and celebrating our Lord together. This is one of the reasons that we've changed our structure on Sunday mornings because we want to be ministered to by the Word and then provoked into worship and ministry with the Holy Spirit together. And so let's talk about that for a minute, how that will work. Because our main worship set is about to start and it's going to continue to follow the end of the sermon and hopefully you are provoked in ministry. We will have people to pray along the walls during our, during our worship set, at any time, if you need prayer for anything, for healing, physical or spiritual. Maybe you just need encouragement. Maybe you need confession. If, if you're an oversight team member, will you, just, will you just stand up for a minute for me? If you're in here, you can look around. We'll always have an oversight member also that is available if you just need to go talk to, if you need, if you need direction on your life. We want to encourage you to go get prayer, to get prayer every Sunday. We also want to encourage you to pray. Just because people are along the walls don't mean they are the only ones that can pray. If the Lord puts something or someone on your heart, this is the time to go and minister. If the Lord gives you a word of knowledge or gives you a prophecy, you're welcome to use that in our church. You can go find someone and you can give them that word. We want to provoke a time of being ministered with the Holy Spirit together as a body. It's the one time of the week we come together. We want the Lord to speak to us together. And so my, my call for you today, my, my call of action is, first of all, if you don't know Jesus as the cornerstone of your life, that's the most important thing you can do. If, if, if Jesus is not the one holding the rest of your life together, he needs to be. And my prayer for you before you leave today, that you will ask him to be that cornerstone. That he will take control of your life. And you can view everything with the proper view. You'll have a different quality of life. But second thing I ask of you today 
is to ask, are you living on mission as an individual? Have you been walking out your gifting? Have you been walking out your calling? Are you letting, are you letting to seek to save the lost drive your life? And then the third thing, pray for this church. Pray, pray for God will start highlighting people in this church that he wants to raise up and send out. Pray that as a church, we will be able to identify these people and that we continue to multiply. And in 75 years, there'll be another church that can look back and share, and share the same history that they had because we multiplied and planted another church. Pray that the Lord will unify us over this mission. If you guys want to go ahead and, and stand up, let's enter a time of worship and, and prayer and ministry with each other in the Holy Spirit.